We welcome you to our Hearing the Voice of God series. Tonight we're going to talk about red flags. Everyone say red flags, caution lights, and other signs. Those other signs. The verse that I chose for tonight is from Isaiah 30 and 19. I love it from the message. God's not finished. How many can say hallelujah? God's not finished. He's waiting around to be gracious to you. He's gathering strength to show mercy to you. God takes the time to do everything right. Those who wait for him are the blessed ones. Someone say blessed ones. And a verse I've chosen that maybe you can meditate on this week or maybe we can have it as an anchor verse daily. Teach me to do your will for you are my God. Let your good spirit, I love it that God has a good spirit, amen. Lead me on level ground, a right place where I will be safe. Psalms 143 and 10. Let's pray. Father, we welcome your Holy Spirit here in the name of Jesus. We welcome you, sir, to speak to us. Speak to my friends listening by podcast. Speak to my friends, my brothers and sisters, my church family gathered in this room. Bring us wisdom. Come, Holy Spirit, and breathe life upon your words and do what only you can do and let us learn of you. We thank you for your grace in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. So, yeah, there's some crazy road signs out there. One of my personal favorites I've shown you before is this one, and it says, the mother of all speed bumps. Look there. So when you're going down the road and you get ready to go over there, you better, what is they used to say on Star Trek, man the hatchets or ban the hatchets, whatever. So mother of all speed bumps. That means slow down and get ready. The next one um, is... I'd turn back if I was you. <laughs> Isn't that good? How many have ever been driving down the road and you would have appreciated that sign? I mean, because you thought, I'd have turned back if I'd known. I think we traveled our whole life with my parents and then I traveled with Pastor Hank. We're evangelists and then travel myself. And I'd get down a road and I'd just think, if I'd known this was here, I'd have turned back. How many wish that there was a trailer about some people in your life and you could have watched the trailer about that person and you never got in that relationship with them? Oh, yes, there's lots of hands going up. Saw that on Facebook, thought it was so cute. Okay, here comes the next one. Um, left lane ends. Go ahead, pull your huge SUV at the last minute. Everyone is waiting for it. We're here for it. You ever felt that way when it says left lane is going to end and then there's always those people. They're going to go as fast as they can. Don't raise your hand if that's you and then pull over in the last minute. Um, because I'm a Lord of the Rings Trekkie, this only means a few things to a few people. You cannot pass. That's a Gandalf. You shall not pass. Um, okay, keep going. That was just for my personal. This right here. Call your mother, girls. Call your mother, people. I love that. I would put that up everywhere. Call your mother. And then, of course, that's a, those were people made them up. And then the last one always gets me. Just speed up a bit. You got this. And you can see there's a... <laughs> Pastor Todd, I would have never said it about you, but since you said it yourself, I'm going to say it. Um, just speed up a bit. You got this. And you can see the middle of it, for those that are listening by podcast, is like a huge ravine, and you do not got this. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't got this. You don't got this. Without God giving us signs and, and, and guidance, we don't have anything. Amen. And sometimes we'll think, I can just speed up through this. So let's get into some of these points. Some we'll spend more time with than other. Number one, any voice that takes hope out of your heart is not the voice of God. 
This is a recurring statement I make every time we talk about the voice of God because I've been a pastor for about 32 years and I've just seen people hurt. And God, even when God is um, getting on to you, God is convicting you, God is trying to get you to do better, he is never going to leave you without hope. And I also say for any of us in leadership, in offices, in businesses, in family, you should never correct a child without giving them hope. You should never get on to an employee without giving them hope. Um, you should never, when you're trying to get someone to a better place, take away their hope. I've seen that sometime. My daddy taught me, a great seasoned minister who's just Jesus with skin on, leave everybody better than you found them, even if where you found them was terrible. Leave them with hope. Someone say, leave them with hope. Number two, it is human nature to second-guess difficult decisions. And that's why God is gracious enough to give us confirmations. Okay, I'm going to back up here for a moment because we did not do our trivia. So top of the paper, you're going to say true or false. You should always follow a word that is given to you by someone. False, that's right. You should always take a word. There's seven witnesses of the voice of God we can't get into tonight. But always take a word, run it by scripture first. Maybe go to someone in leadership before you follow it. Second one, God's voice is not only different from our voice, but he frequently comes to us in ways that make it easy to reject him. True. God came as a baby in a manger, and most people did not realize that was him. God comes through people. Sometimes it might be really seriously. A homeless person could give you a word and be spot on. God chooses people to say things to us. And sometimes we could reject it. Sometimes it's someone we might not even like. Ouch. Let's keep going. Dreams are often given as warning of events that can be avoided by prayer and repentance. That is true. If you have a bad dream of something happening to someone you love, don't take it as the final word. Take it as a point to pray about it and say, Lord, I come against this dream. Um, okay, right underneath that my personal favorite. If you have a dream that reveals God is going to promote you, you should tell everyone and post it immediately on social media. False. That's who said true. My son in love. Um, he was being funny. Um, that's so true. And basically that's what Joseph did and it got him into the pit. Um, sometimes we just need to wait. Next one, God would never lead or tempt any of us to violate his word. That is true. The next one, if you receive a revelation about someone, even in a dream or a word of knowledge or a uh, word of uh, wisdom, that means you have permission to share it. False. In fact, if you receive a revelation about someone, most often you're supposed to pray for them. And I want to go say this. If you receive something about someone and you go tell someone else, that's gossip. If I have a dream that... I'll say Pastor Todd because we know this is not true. And God reveals something to me just, you know, so bad about Pastor Todd or what have you. And I decide to tell seven church members so they can pray with me about it. That's a big no. That's gossip. Um, now, when this rule becomes um, breakable, let's say it that way, or bendable, is if maybe you go to someone over you in the Lord. doesn't have to be me or another pastor here, a, a spiritual mother, a spiritual father, someone you really trust and say, this is bugging me because if you're wrong in the dream and you just said, I saw this in my dream. I mean, we're not talking about dreams tonight, but you know, there was a woman in this church in the early years that was convinced that I was Nebuchadnezzar. 
and that I was setting up my throne to overthrow the kingdom of God as Nebuchadnezzar. One of the funnest meetings I've ever been is, is when Pastor Hank confronted her. I'll leave that right there because he was young and a scrapper and full of the wisdom of God and full of the anointing. He was kind, but I mean, he just kept hashing that dream down and I just sat there shaking like, you know, in that moment you ask yourself, am I Nebuchadnezzar, you know, and I knew I wasn't, but she actually had some mental issues and she got that figured out. So you did good on trivia, so give yourself a hand. Come on, give yourself a hand. Woo, woo, woo. Okay, so let's go back to number two. Sorry, went out of order there. It's human nature to second-guess difficult decisions, and that's why God is gracious. Everyone say gracious. Enough to give us confirmations. God, in Matthew 7, 11, Jesus said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father in heaven give good? Everyone say good. Gifts to those who ask him. So an analogy that came to me, if you've ever had a child or if you're keeping a child and you have a toddler and they're barely able to walk and you take them to the Mall of Minnesota, um, which is the biggest mall in America, in the United States of America, and it's humongous. And you put them on the first level. It has so many levels, so many stores. I'm not even going to try to tell you. Just trust me. Look it up online. And you put that toddler at one end and said, hey, I'll see you in three hours. Do your best to make it through the Mall of America. Someone say, that's crazy. Everyone say, that's crazy. crazy. Say it on this side. There you go. All right, you're working with me. The thing is, but sometimes we attribute to God that he's not going to help us, that he's going to drop us off in this thing called life, which is a maze. Can everyone agree it's a maze? And then just say, do your best to get through it. God is not going to do that. God is going to speak through signs, through warnings, through caution lights, and red flags. Underneath that, before number three, we don't interpret Scripture via signs. We interpret signs via Scripture, which means um, I have to tell some of this crazy because the only only way I know how to help, um, and I'll leave some of the stories out, but there was a couple of women years ago that I loved dearly And if a pot fell off of the shelf in their kitchen, they thought that was the Lord saying, don't go to church this morning. If they went out and their key did not turn immediately in the thing, they thought that was the Lord saying, you shouldn't go to church today. When you get into that level of crazy, and listen, no stones in my pocket. At one point or the other, we've all been tempted to just follow signs. God, if you want me to go to work, wake me up before the alarm goes off. Otherwise, I shall slumber upon my mattress in Jesus' name. Come on. But if you don't go to work, you're not going to get paid. And your mortgage is due, your rent is due, can I get a big amen? And that's when signs become crazy. Signs can work. But the Bible says a man who doesn't work doesn't eat. So, hey, there you go. Um, So, you know, that means people work at home that don't have full-time jobs. But the thing is, if we just live by signs, we're going to get disoriented and we're going to get discouraged. Number three, the enemy is a master at turning the signpost of life around to distract you, discourage you, and disorientate you. That's the enemy. What he wants to do is he wants to distract you, discourage you. I mean, some of you never existed upon the planet when there was no GPS. And without a sign, you drove through the desert on a horse with no name. Okay, sorry. You, you drove a long time 
um, not knowing where you were going. I mean, in those days that we lived with dinosaurs, we had to get out these huge maps. Anybody remember? And you had to pull off the side of the road. I mean, Pastor Hank and I evangelized. Did we get off the wrong way? And then we'd get mad at each other. Then I'd say, why don't you stop and ask? We are not asking anyone for directions, you know. Um, it's a man thing. Someone say it's a man thing. Until we were lost a long time. And then he goes, I'm going to pull off. I'm telling you, the older he got, he was like, let's just pull off the first time we miss something. Let's just go meet someone and have friends. But the thing is, signs could mislead you or they could help you. This is what the enemy wants to do. He wants to make it difficult for you. He wants to flip. Everyone say flip. Flip signs of encouragement. Flip signs of discouragement. Let me give you a classic example. June 6, 1944. The Allies landed on Normandy, crossed the English Channel to try to stop Adolf Hitler. But what they could not foresee is that Adolf Hitler understood the importance of signposts. As evil as he was, he was a genius as well. And so he took the signs and directed them from a geographical location. He knew, and listen to this, soldiers out of positions are soldiers without purpose. And that's why... Um, the enemy wants to get you out of position. He wants to give you signs to lead you down a way that you're not supposed to be going. I'm not even talking about doing horrible things. I'm just talking about away from your destiny. He wants to turn those signs away so you'll go in an opposite direction. Well, the allied uh, army marched in a wrong direction, and Satan is a master strategist at doing just that, at turning, someone say turning, the signs. Um, also, he is a master strategist at trying to get you to believe something that's not in the Word of God. I'm talking about negative things. Uh, Jesus, in the wilderness, was sent there by the Spirit. Everyone say, by the Spirit. It says, and the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. And Satan came into the wilderness. And Satan tried to flip around the signpost. Interestingly enough, Ukraine has switched signposts on Russia. And they've gotten lost down country roads. I don't know if you've seen any of that footage, but they flipped them. But what happened is Satan came and he tried to flip the signpost from Jesus' destiny. Thank God Jesus was a son of God. But Josh, I asked myself today, I said, oh my goodness, how could have he ever thought that he could distract the son of God. He knew him because he kept saying, if you are the Christ, do this. If you are the Christ, I think, I think I got the answer. Look at your neighbor and say, she got the answer. The answer is why he tried because Jesus was tired and he was hungry and he was overwhelmed. Now the hungry is bad enough. Anybody been hungry before? It is not good. Um, but he was exhausted. That's a word for you. When you're exhausted, and the enemy tries to flip the signpost and ask you, did God really say he was going to bless you? Did God really say for you to continue to be faithful? Did God really say that he was going to do something beautiful in your life, a signing of a contract or whatever? Did God really say it? Jesus was so powerful because he responded to Satan with what? It. Don't be scared. Say it together, choir. It is written. Everyone say, it is written. Number four, if Satan twisted scripture with Jesus Christ, he will most assuredly twist scripture with you. And you have to respond with, it is written. In the fall of man, what did he say to Eve? Has God not said? He tried to get her, and she did, 
to turn from what we believe. One of the most powerful stories that I've ever heard in my life that I've told here several times, I cannot tell it in its entirety, but it's about an awesome woman of God named Jean Reborg. How many remember the Jean Reborg story? Raise your hand. A few of you, yes. Jean Reborg was an awesome woman of God, a teacher, a valiant member of her church and her community. But one day she got a lump underneath her arm and a voice said, you're going to die. You've got cancer. She believed it. They took it to the doctor. They took it out. They said, you're okay. But that voice kept speaking to her. She tried to fight it, but she started listening to the voice. Whenever we turn up that volume of fear or doubt or, or, or disorientation, she listened to it till then the voice said she had to quit work. They had to put her on Thorazine, which is a, a terrible drug. It's, it's got its use in psychiatric situations, extreme, but they just made her, she was like a dummy. She just, I don't mean a dummy, she was just lethargic. She couldn't think, she couldn't talk. Then the next thing, she heard that voice say, you have blasphemed God. This is why this is happening to you. You blaspheme God and you don't know it. I'm going to tell you something. What every elder over me, my parents, my grandparents told me, if you're still asking if you blaspheme God, you have not blasphemed God. The only people, and I heard Pastor Frank say that to hundreds of people through the years, the only people that I have are people that can't ask that question anymore. But anyway, she ended up in an insane asylum. She was given up, and God moved on a man by the name of Paul Cain, a true prophet. He's with the Lord now. The Lord showed him. Her parents got in line and asked. They couldn't even contact her. The Lord showed him where she was. He got into the psychiatric unit. I mean, God divinely showed him on a headline in the sky. He went to see her, and the first thing when she saw him, she could see glow around him, and he said, Jean, you have not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. The devil is lying to you. I want you to watch this, this process of a Sunday school teacher, this process of a mighty woman of God, but every lie kept being believed and being believed and being believed and being believed and Satan kept twisting and twisting the scripture until eventually this woman was put in an insane asylum. But God did not give up on Jean and God is not going to give up on us. Someone give the Lord a hand clap. I'm trying not to preach but it's worth it and Paul prayed over her and he said when I leave that voice is going to come back but when it does you say to it it is written um, the Lord God will strengthen me he'll hold me by my right hand he will not forsake me and when he walked out the door because she had to be released and go through proper channels she began to quote it. Jean Reborg lived her entire life traveling in the gospel. But that's when an example of the Bible says, take heed lest you fall. I'm going to tell you something. You fight that thought as it coming. You hear me? You fight it. They, they come to me too. The enemy tries to twist scripture, tries to make you think until you out loud begin to say, you know, glory to the kingdom, glory to Jesus. Uh, you begin to give him praise for it in that moment. I apply the blood of Jesus to my mind. That's what I do. Recently, my neighbor across the street, sorry you're hearing about this, Christine, this way, but she went to be with the Lord Monday night and that the paramedics have been coming and coming. She's uh, in her 90s and they've lived there as long as I've lived there and um, when I saw those paramedics uh, Belinda it was somewhat of a trigger of what I went through in September and the tears just started flowing I saw some of the same paramedics I had to come around another way, couldn't even get into my house. It was, I came in, came inside, and all of a sudden, all those images, I'm just being honest, that I'm not going to replay for you, that I had to see and go through that night. 
all that that I had to go through with all the pyramids, it just started to, to just bullying me like a giant. And I could feel my heart racing. I could feel myself. And I just began to say, I apply the blood of Jesus to my mind, to my eyes. Lord, I release this memory. My elders have prayed over this memory that it would not torment me. And it hasn't. And then I began to walk through the house. And I said, I praise you, Jesus, that those paramedics are here for Brother and Sister Sherlin. Thank you, Lord God, that Brother and Sister Sherlin, that's what I call them, are not by themselves thank you that you are here to help them and I'm telling you that thing lifted its grip just like that come on I'm being very personal with you because I am a pastor that doesn't make me better but I've spent my life studying the word of God it was raised by godly biblical people and if it's going to come after Jesus if it's going to come after me it's going to come after you and you've got to fight it someone say amen number five when God gives a stop sign that indicates a pause look both ways and don't push past your peace don't push past your peace someone say don't push past your peace there is a terrible story in Scripture, and I pulled the verse off your paper by accident. It's in 1 Samuel 13, 11, if you want to make reference of it. It says that King Saul forced himself, everyone say forced, himself to offer the sacrifice. And this is what he said. So I forced myself. He pushed past his peace. I'll tell you why it was so bad. And offered the burnt offering. He pushed past peace. Has anyone else in this room ever pushed past peace when God said, I'm trying to tell you something's not right here. King Saul had mobilized his troops to free people from the Philistines. Samuel the prophet, it had been different if it had just been some blowjob, but Samuel's words never fell to the ground. It's one of the coolest things. If he said red tomatoes will appear tomorrow, they appeared. And it says of Samuel on his last day, his words never fell to the ground. And Samuel told him, wait till I come back before you go into battle and I will offer the sacrifice to you. But days passed. We've all been here. Just feel this tension. The Philistines grew in number. Saul became anxious. The seventh day, no Samuel. They were outnumbered. The troops were restless. People were questioning his ability. The Bible says that the fear of man is the beginning. The, the fear of man is the beginning. The fear of God, I'll get it, is the beginning of wisdom. But the fear of man is a snare. Everyone say a snare. And you see, as a leader in your family, as a leader over yourself, you cannot let the fear of man cause you to do something you know God does not want you to do. Saul violated the word. He should have said to the people that were fussing, I don't know what God's doing, but I'm going to stay right here. We grow apprehensive when God is not speaking. And Americans, as Americans, we become self-reliant. Everyone say self-reliant. Well, I'm just going to take this thing into my own hands. I've waited for God long enough. I'm a fixer. I'll take care of this. But maybe we should just operate on the last word that God said until he speaks again. But he didn't. It was a terrible consequence. The kingdom of God was stolen from King Saul over this situation. When a red flag comes or a warning sign comes and God says, don't move till I say, we need to do it. If he had just waited. This is the worst thing about this. I had to write a note of this. It says, just as Saul, someone say just as Saul, and I'll read the rest, finished offering the sacrifice. Samuel arrived. 
five minutes would have made all the difference in the world. You see, sometimes we think God's making us wait so long. God's sparing you. God's saving you. And if he had just waited five more minutes, Samuel would have come, and this whole thing would not have happened. And just as he's finished it, sometimes we just think that wait is so long, and I'm going to end this night with a, a little illustration about that, but we think the wait is so long when God said, I'm doing it. You know what? When you get a check in your spirit, have you ever said, something told me not to do that? Something told me not to go there? Something told me not to do it when I was in high school? Um, the first concert I went to was Andy Gibb of the Beach Boys. Oh, yeah. My sister and I stood on chairs and screamed our lungs out because we can sing. And we sang. I mean, I, I'll get into it right now to get myself drunk. But the second one I went to, my mama said, I got a bad feeling about this. It was Nicolette Larson in Southern California. And it was a group of people she didn't know. She goes, I've got it. I remember she was at the kitchen cooking. And she goes, Rhonda, I'm going to let you make this decision. You're 16. Um, but I've got a bad feeling. I've, I've just got a bad feeling. Things that I encountered that night, I will take forever. Nothing horrible happened to me, but the things I saw and the things I experienced, because it was actually in a bar, and it wasn't people drinking, but it was many other things that I'm not going to go into tonight. My mom said to me later, I said, Mama, you were right. She said, Honey, did you have a check in your spirit? I said, My check in my spirit was you. But I thought, Mama don't know. How many ever wished you'd listen to Mama a little bit more? Come on now. Here's the deal. Listen to this. Sometimes a man, we can say a man or a woman, looks at someone. But let's say um, a man looks at a woman or a woman looks at a man. And everything about that potential mate just seemed to look perfect. The woman checks out the man and finds out he's got a good job. That's good. He's got a nice car. That's good. He treats her nicely when they go out, takes her to nice places, acts like the perfect gentleman. All of her BFFs say, oh, he's so hot. Answers all her questions just like she dreamed he would. Everything seems so right, but for some reason, for some reason, something doesn't feel right. And the peace of God says you can't marry him. You ever been there? Something on the inside said, leaves alone. You see, if we operate in the peace of God, we'll listen to that inner umpire and we'll wait till a more suitable mate comes. And it's that way with the right house, with the right job. I want you to say after me, the peace of God guides me. It is. It's the umpire. We study that in the book of Ephesians. It's a, the umpire of a game calls the shots. Strike out safe. The Holy Spirit looks at situations and in us he'll say, Mm, that job looks great, but mm. he governs us. That means to rule us. Colossians 3 and 15 on your paper. Let the peace that comes from Christ be your umpire continually. Someone say continually. Let his peace rule in your life. Let his peace rule in your life. Let his peace call the shots. Um, Pastor Hank and I often would say, do you have peace about that? Everything would look so good. I said, I know. He goes, I don't either. We're not going to do that. Um, we just say, you know, that, that peace. Because Jesus said in John 14 and 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Someone say double peace. Not as the world gives, I give you a different peace. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be fearful, says Jesus. He was saying his peace is different from the world's peace. The world will offer you peace in a song, peace in a drink, peace in entertainment, peace in an ejection. Peace in a relationship. Peace in a Louis Vuitton bag. The world serves up peace in a variety of ways. The problem with the world's peace, it only lasts as long as the thing it comes in. 
the effects wear off, the entertainment ends, and so does the peace. But the peace of God remains on the inside. You can handle it. You may not like what you go through, but if you have the peace of God, he says to you, in the world you have tribulation, but be of good courage. I have overcome the world. Someone give Jesus a hand clap of praise. Come on, that's his peace. Someone say his peace. These other things are temporary. Peace is always tied to overcoming a situation. You won't know what that peace is until you go through something. But in the midst of a struggle, a battle, an addiction, a conflict, a number of things, you discover what it means to walk in peace. And people look at you and think, I don't even know how that's possible. But it's his peace. That's why you have to trust the peace of God. Listen, if God says, wait, if God says, I, I, my peace is not on that job, believe him. Number six, a yield sign means slow down. You're going too fast. There may be something ahead that requires you to slow down and be cautious of your surroundings. Someone say wisdom. Let me read these couple of verses before we get into this for a moment. With him, meaning Jesus, are wisdom and strength. He has counsel and he has understanding. Isaiah prophesied about Jesus in the book of Isaiah and said the government will rest upon his shoulders. He will judge not by what he sees or what he hears, but he will judge by wisdom, by what the Father. That's the kind of wisdom you and I need, that we don't judge by what we see. We judge by the wisdom of God, and it's not a hard thing. Someone say it's not a hard thing. Underneath there it says, do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Someone say, look at your name and say, get wisdom. Get understanding. That's right. Search for it. Um, they still have this. When we were growing up, my siblings and I, the cereal boxes had a prize at the very bottom. And it usually wasn't wrapped in anything. I mean, we, we just lived like germs crazy back in those days. And uh, we ate off the floor. I mean, it was just crazy. Didn't wear seat belts. It's a wonder any of us are alive. Um, babies were put in the, the bottom of the floor driving down the road, and you just hope they didn't roll out into the interstate. I mean, seriously, that's the way it was when we were young. And that prize at the bottom, if you had a good mama, and I had two siblings, and we were all little eager beavers for little prizes at the bottom of Lucky Charms. And, you know, one of the siblings would reach down. Did you ever do it? deep and you're just you know where's the marshmallow but where's the prize and uh and my mom would always say children um children when we eat down to it you can get the prize and whoever eats the best at breakfast well that's always gonna be me because I could out eat my brother and my sister but if you eat your cereal every morning and you get down when it comes your time and you get it that's a simple silly analogy but that's the way it is with wisdom if you continue to eat from the Word of God, you continue to expose yourself to the Word of God. Wisdom is a natural response to the Word of God. The more you read, the more you hear, whether it's sermons on podcasts or sermons on CDs or whatever, wisdom will come. Someone say wisdom. Say wisdom will come. Another thing about yielding, I want to say right here, and, and let me say at the top of your paper or right above that, it said the only thing harder, and I do this quote a lot, than waiting on God is wishing you had. That's the only alternative. And if Saul had just waited, 
But I think about yielding. Sometimes God may say to you in the workplace. I mean, do you ever, we used to laugh about this. Do you ever pull up with your, like I'd preach somewhere and there'd be two cars of preachers, prophets, and evangelists, whether it was Pastor Hank preaching or me, and someone would say, hurry, run in there and get ahead of the line, you know. Get out and run up there and beat everybody else, you know. Boy, that's real Christian-like, isn't it? Just run like the wind and get in front of all those people and serve yourself. A yield sign says, even in relationships, it's okay to lay down and let someone else go first. I'm going to yield to you. When you're in traffic and you yield, of course, the worst thing is when traffic lights go out. You ever been in that situation? And then you got the crazy people. No, you go first. No, you go first. I mean, seven hours later, you're still, no, you go first. You know, people are taking out their guns and just shooting at you. No, you go first. I mean, finally. And then there's that moment when you both decide to go first. Is it not true? Like, we're going to have a head-on collision. Which is too many kind people. Of course, you get a little bit of, Broncos in there, there's always one. They're like, I'm going to outrun all of you. You know, but the thing is about yielding, there's a story that most of us pastors dislike, and it's called the old ram and the young ram story. And an old ram and a young ram were crossing around a mountain on a cliff, and you couldn't pass each other. You were fall to your death. You know what rams are. And um, they got there, and the young ram, seeing the old ram come, one of them had to go over the side or something. And the young ram starts putting his feet back, and he, you know, he leans his big head and his whatever they have. I don't know if those are antlers or horns or whatever. He leads it down, and he's getting ready to buck him because he's like, I'm not, you're going off. I'm not giving way to you. I'm not yielding to you. But the old ram sees the young ram, and he's lived a lot longer, and he just lays down on the cliff, and the young ram walks right over him. The end of the day, the young ram goes down that side of the mountain. The old ram goes down this side of the mountain. And the young ram thinks, I've done it. I've won it. I conquered. I made the old ram lay down. I've been the young ram and I've been the old ram. But the winner in this story is the old ram. Greater love hath no one than to lay down his life. Now, that's about Christ, but it's also about you and I and yielding to people in our jobs sometimes, yielding to them in our community and giving them time and space to get it together and not throwing them off the cliff. I'm going to tell you in situations when I just bit my tongue, cried with tears while I let a young ram walk all over me. I mean, just think they won the day with their anger, with their cursing. I've been cursed at, you name it, by parishioners. Them go vile, them go horrible. But when I went home and I went to lay my head down and I got on my knees, I knew the Holy Spirit said, you know what, old ram, if there's a winner today, it's you. You saved two lives. Someone give Jesus a hand clap praise for you and what God's done. Josh, if you'll come help me. Number seven, a red flag indicates danger. There's something you do not know and cannot see, a sign that you should stop. Everyone say stop. Now, some of this coming into this last few minutes is more lighthearted, but I want him to play anyway, um, or it's more practical, I could say. But a red light is an umpire. Um, It doesn't feel right, don't move forward. I want you to say, if it doesn't feel right, don't move forward. God does not operate in an atmosphere of pressure. And listen, Pastor Hank and I used to talk about this so many times. If you're up against a wall, I've seen people buy the wrong house. They bought a... uh, What's that Tom Hanks movie? The Money Pit. I've seen them buy a money pit because the house they wanted, you have to watch the movie. It's terrible. It's, it's hilarious, but it's terrible because um, the house just goes a million ways wrong. It's so funny. 
But here's what I want to say to you. God does not operate in an atmosphere of pressure. And if you think I've got to marry Bob because no one else is going to come along, if you think I've got to get that, I've got to get this house, I've got to get a house, I've got to buy a house, the house we wanted didn't work, and I'm just going to buy this house, I'm, I'm going to take it right now. God is not the author of confusion. First Corinthians 14 and 33 says, He's not the author of confusion. And anytime something says, you got to move now. Now, there are a few deals I've heard people talk about, but the people in my life that move million dollars of property a day, some of them now are in heaven, that might let you know who one or two of them are, they always said, hasty decisions are not right. When something is just pushing you, you say, I've got to do it now. Because pretty much it's, it's that you're operating in emotion. I want you to say, God is not the author of confusion. Now, there may be something on Facebook they're selling, and you want to get that. That's okay. You want to beat John to it. There may be something you're buying off of eBay, and it's going around and around. But when it comes to big, life-altering decisions, and something just saying, you got to do it, you got to do it. And us that are naturally movers, um, I'm not a high mover. That's a whole other life language, but Pastor Hank was a high mover. Um, movers, a lot of times, feel... They just, and sanguines are that way too. They want to, I'm part sanguine, I can say that. They want to, you know, go for it. But sometimes God is saying, you know what? Don't operate in the atmosphere of pressure. If something feels like it's pushing you and you've got to do it right now, you better step back and think, is this right? Because when God does something, if it's his will, it's going to line up. There's going to be peace. I mean, there may be a little disorder here and there, a little confusion, but there will be peace. And you won't think, I've got to do this now. 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 That comes from the voice of confusion. And Satan is the author of confusion. Can I get an amen? Okay, let's talk about some other things here before we close. Number eight, we're talking about hearing from God and desires is what this is going to be. God wants to resurrect our desires, sanctify them, intensify them, and leverage them for his purposes. I said on there, sometimes God speaks to us for us. Sometimes God speaks to us for others. I want to give you a little hint on hearing the voice of God. Ask him to help you help other people more than you just want to hear about me. You know, what do you think about me, God? What about me? Me, 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 me. I mean, it's just who we are without Christ. We are so self-absorbed. When you look at a picture, whose picture do you look at first? yours. Everyone say mine. <laughs> mine. We want God to take our desires and sanctify them. Fleshly desires are temporary, but godly desires pass through a fire. Listen to this. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus revealed a supernatural sequence to that which is inviolable. He said, seek the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added. Everyone say, seek the kingdom first. Let's try it again. Seek the kingdom first. We want everything the world has to offer, and then we'll seek God. But that's not the way it is. You can't seek God second or third. Seeking God first is delighting yourself in the Lord. That's how your desires get purified. Seeking God first is giving him the first word and the last word in everything in your life. God, you get the first word, and you get the last word. There may be a lot of people that give me their opinion in between, but you get the first and you get the last, God. I want what you say um, a statement that everyone that works with me will hear me say, may the will of God be established in this matter. I mean, I will text it to people. I will say it because in that moment, I'm saying, God, I want your voice to be the loudest voice. Someone say the loudest voice. 
Paul said, I consider everything, Philippians 1 and 23, a loss for knowing Christ Jesus, that I might seek him first. Paul said in Philippians 2 and 3, do nothing. Everyone say, do nothing out of selfish ambition. That's where most of us stop. And we think, but here I want to say something to you, and you'll get this fill in in a minute. Don't go to it yet because it's coming out of order or out of line, I should say. God doesn't just want to kill selfish ambition in you. He wants to raise up godly ambition. He wants you to so know you're doing things for him. Um, in this age of social media, back when we did Esther and Queen for a day, no one saw it. We were here back in the early days of preaching. I mean, Austin, I know you're not going to believe this. Well, you probably will. You'll probably remember it. People didn't listen by podcast. I mean, I love that. I think technology is great. But if people wanted to hear your message, they had to make the effort to drive over here and pick up a CD because that wasn't available. So there was a lot hidden. Everyone say hidden. Hidden. Say hidden. It just means it was just for the people in the room. And I think that's precious and holy. And I'll be honest to you, I get so much inquiries about listening to our podcast, especially this last eight months, and wanting to hear the sermons that are going forth. And that's great. But the word will always be for you first. But I sometimes, sometimes, I miss the hidden days. I miss the days when no one knew about Esther and it was back in that room and it didn't have a social media presence. And I miss Queen for a day when it was done because I didn't have to question my motives because I had nothing to gain. And sometimes, I'm telling you this to help you, I have to come back to the Lord and I'll say, Lord, it's bothering me because this is taking, I, I don't good, do good with fame, to be honest with you. It's not fame, but just that kind of thing. Lord, I don't, Lord, I don't like that. There's just so many people looking at this and looking at that and looking at this. And I liked when I was hidden and the Lord said, Rhonda, I'll tell you how I'll help you with that. And I said, please, sir, I'll help you to always say, for whom? I love you. For whom are you doing this for, Rhonda? And I said, well, Jesus, it takes everything within me to do everything I do. Well, who are you doing it for? I'm doing it for you and for your people. He said, when the enemy presses you because, you know, having doors open and things like that, when it comes against you, come back and say, I know whom I'm doing this for. And that will let you check your ego at the door. Give God a hand clap of praise. Come on. Because listen. I'm, I'm, I'm not putting myself up. I'm just speaking to you as a pastor and a teacher who loves you so deeply. I wouldn't go through hours of this if I didn't. You and Jesus. But I want to say this to you. It's going to come after you. And that voice is going to say, why are you doing this? What's your motive? Why are you doing this? Why did you just clean that chair? Why did you go over there and help Misty with the ice cream? You're trying to get her to promote you to chief ice cream maker of the Church of the Harvest tribe? It's a coveted position. Don't laugh. Um, you know, you've got to question your motives. The thing about it is, and I mean this, everything I do literally kills me in a thousand different ways. Emotionally, mentally, whether it's putting buckets up here or getting the word or making decisions for this church. But it's funny how still it'll say, why are you wanting to do that? But when you come back and you say, you know what? And that's what you should say. You know what, Lord? I'm doing this for you because I want to tell you this. I'm almost done. Hang with me. We're still at 7.52. Give me a hand. I'm doing so good. Give me a hand. I'm on time. Whoop, whoop, whoop. 
The other thing is, um, there's so many funny signs I didn't do. Like the, a friend of mine when we were in high school said, isn't that just the cutest little light on your dash? And I said, Kathy, what, what light? She goes, it's a little teapot. It's a teapot. I said, Kathy, that's your oil. It's low. <laughs> well, it looks like a teapot. I said, no, it's a, you know, signs can be confusing. Amen. <laughs> I said, there's no teapot. I'm a little teapot, short and stout. Um, but here's the deal. In letting our desires pass through the fire of God, of doing things for him in our job, in our family, in whatever that we do, the thing about it is, is sometimes the reason we have to check our ego at the door, because if we want something too much, we might not be ready for it. And God wants it to pass through the fire, but he wants us to wait. And then sometimes, everyone say sometimes. Listen, I'm not going to belabor this, but I could go on an hour now of all the things I thought I'd be doing with my life. But they look different than I thought they would. All the things I thought the way the Lord would use me. Uh, a funny note on this. Pastor Barb Sally, when you see her on Sunday, she thought she would marry Elvis. So just go there. Um, we laugh about it all the time because she loved Elvis. But here's the deal. Sometimes what we think will happen with our life and, and what, a good, what we do is we let the world tell us. We let the world tell us what success is. Um, if you're in full-time ministry, it has looked like this. Listen, if I compared myself to 98% of the people that do what I do, I probably wouldn't do it anymore. Because I would look at their thing and think, well, I'm not successful because I'm not doing that. When God has said, just like we talked about Sunday morning, I have dressed you in armor. What God says to you tonight is, he has gifted you. And he's the one that says, this is how that will be used. And he's dressed you in a way um, that when you get to heaven, he's going to recognize you. If I can say it, Tennessee slang. He's going to recognize you. He's going to recognize you because you're wearing the gifts he gave you. And if you consistently think that success means this or that, you're going to get off track. But you've got to say, Lord, forgive me that in my, the world ego that is said to me. That's why I always warn you, be careful what you say to people. We set them up for disaster by saying, oh, I see you do this and I see you do that. We set them up instead of letting the Lord determine how their gifts are used. Because if you are in the right place using your gifts, when you stand before Jesus Christ, he is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Give Jesus a hand and I'll, I will get to this last point. You got two more, but this number nine. Emotion is a great servant, but a terrible master. So we've talked about this. So just hang with me. Keep looking at me and just hang with me for a few minutes because it's, it's a, a couple of a little journey. So here's the deal. We already talked about Psalms 1 says don't take counsel with the ungodly. Nothing more ungodly than your emotions. That's why people have tattoos in the wrong places. Come on, somebody. That's why we say things that we'll later regret. Am I not right? Because our emotions become a master. Your emotions are a great servant. Servant. Don't let them be a master. Don't let them tell you how you feel about things. Generally, people don't make good decisions when they're in an emotional frenzy or funk. Is anybody with me? That's how you do get tattoos in the wrong place. You say things you regret. Self-control is the last uh, gift listed because it takes the longest to cultivate. As an emotional gatekeeper, self-control says to you, don't say that right now. You are not hearing from God. Don't make that decision right now. You are tired. 
you are weary. Um, and, tra and traveling through this grief thing, my, my dear friend Joni and I talk at least about three times a week, very late at night. She's on Dallas time. And we've both said our worst moments. And Lisa, you would remember this from your journey. Your journey. <laughs> the worst moments are when we're exhausted. Anybody with me? It's when we're tired. If we'll go back and think, why did I break down right then? And not just a natural process of grief because we're just exhausted. We're tired. When you're tired, it's never the time to make a big decision. Someone say amen. So here's some interesting things. It's been discovered, yay, for you, that there are 412 emotions. Give yourself a hand. Oh, that's scary. Among the most amazing parts of the amygdala, which is an almond-shaped cluster of nuclei in your temporal lobe, They've studied it, and they've decided the seat of emotions are intimately involved by psychiatrists in making decisions and memory-making. As a general rule of thumb, stronger emotions result in tougher decisions and longer memories. So emotions are the subject of, or emotions are in two categories. Everyone say positive and negative. Here's the cool thing. Negative will keep you out of trouble. It'll keep you from, I don't know, going over to the tallest building in Chattanooga and deciding that you're Superman and jumping off the top of it. Fear is a good thing. Someone say fear can be a good thing. It'll get you out of trouble, fear of certain things. Now, a positive emotions are hope. It gets us um, into truth. The spiritual issue is that negativity can keep us out of what God has for us, but hope can get us out of trouble. Everyone say, hope can get us out of trouble. Okay, someone say, go ahead, Pastor Rhonda, because I'm fixing to go deep into a couple of things. Just listen to me. Robert Pluckett, Professor Emeritus at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, has identified eight basic, now there's 412, joy, trust, fear, surprise, sadness, disgust, anger, anticipation. How many had all eight today? There you go. How many had it at one time? No, just kidding. The e emotional um, annotation and representative, the Earl, suggests 48 basic. But the research center at Cambridge has identified 412. And each one has a function. I want you to say, my emotions have a function. They do. Listen, God gave you your emotions. But they must be sanctified and steward as anything else in your life. To ignore these emotions is to ignore the voice of God because God does speak through your emotion at times. At times you will ignore it. Nehemiah, how did he identify he was supposed to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild it? His tears, he was crying, something moved him. Emotions channeled in the right way can do great things, but if they go unchecked, they're evil. The heart should break for the things that break God's heart. Whether it's sadness, anger, gladness, don't ignore them. Look at your neighbor and say, don't ignore them, but sanctify them. Come on, say it. Sanctify them. Sanctify them. Submit them to the Lord and say, Lord, use my tears for your glory. Sonia Merkel, um, she's been one of my spiritual daughters forever, and she can cry at the drop of a hat and drop the hat to cry. I mean, just, I mean, she just, you're telling her something. But, you know, people just adore her because they feel that she's feeling their pain. Um, some people have a lot of laughter, and we love that. Um, some people are just very compassionate, and we love that. Don't, listen to me, 
I know we talk about addiction being a feeling disease. Sisters, I know that. And I know that. But also, God-given feelings are for a purpose. Have you ever been going through something, like my friend Melissa and I say, in hard times, don't show us pity. Are you one of those people? I mean, I'm good. I'm Joan of Arc. But if you start telling me how sad you are for me, I'm like, <laughs> you know, because I felt your empathy. It's beautiful that you can feel what others feel. Look at your neighbor and say, it's beautiful. But you got to steward it. Steward it means pass it through the fire. Tell the Lord, help me to use them the right way, God. My anger is out of control. But God, if you switch my anger, I can get righteous indignation about people that are abused in our society. God, my tears flow, but help me to use them to intercede for people and help me to use them in self-control. Listen to this. When Abraham Lincoln was upset with someone, he had a habit of composing what's called a hot letter. Everyone say a hot letter. I've done this many times. It was a cathartic exercise, putting all of his anger and his frustration on paper. Then after his emotions had cooled down, he would write, never sent, never signed. In psychology, that's called a pattern interrupt. Everyone say a pattern interrupt. Say it again. Come on, we're almost done. Say a pattern interrupt. James 1.19 says, be quick to listen, slow to be slow to speak and slow. Someone say slow. To become anger, angry. So what does that mean? It's the difference between reacting or responding. We're talking about your emotions being a voice. We're almost done. I told you the end kind of ends lighthearted. It just came out that way. So here's what I want to say to you. I heard former President Donald Trump um, talk about that he wished he'd done that more instead of tweeting. Because he said he, he wrote many letters. I heard this from his own mouth, not secondhand. Um, that and it's not against him. I'm not going to tell you who I voted for. Most of y'all can guess. And I have people that are very close to President Trump. Very close. But he said he wished that he had done that. When I had an office back here, now I have one home. I don't have this trouble anymore. But sometimes I get so aggravated because I was over the musicians and everybody but Chris was a pill. Come on, somebody. And... Uh, <laughs> Oh, my Lord, they were just, you know, they're full. As Joni Lamb says, musicians can be tricky. Um, if it wasn't them, it was the staff, and I'd mediate, and I'd get so mad, and I'd write a letter. It's kind of like saying it in your mind, and I'd put it in a file, and I would say, if you still feel this way a week from now, send it. Go right ahead. I never sent any of those letters and usually tore them up in two days because in the hot heat of a moment, you were going to say something. Pastor Hank used to have a theory, and it was called Amnesty Night. And in a couple, most of you that did marital counseling learned it, and for one night you had an amnesty night that you could talk about something, you wouldn't get upset. But the thing about it is when you get upset, walk away. It's not cowardly. Go into a room. Put on earphones. Eat chocolate. Um, I was going to say drink a beer, but we don't do that. Um, go, go do Go do it. just came to me. I've never tasted beer, so I don't know what that was like. It's nasty. I've heard it's nasty. That's what Pastor Hank said. It's nasty. But here's the deal. In that moment, walk away from the situation. It's like writing a letter and say, don't text it. Don't post it. Don't follow your emotions. I read posts sometimes, and I'm thinking, if I was your mama, I'd spank you in the back room. Because I know in that moment they got mad. Underneath that, and then I want to say something, do nothing out of selfish ambition, but that is only half the battle. God doesn't just want to kill selfish ambition. He wants to amplify godly ambition. He wants to increase your ambition. And just put your pens down, listen, I'm going to say something, I pray of you. He wants to increase, Jessica, your ambition to do things for Him. 
I think we get so hard on don't have selfish ambition. Consider yourself as a worm. God never said to consider yourself as a worm. Never. He wants to raise up godly dreams. He wants them to pass through the fire and desires. And then he wants to use them. But he wants to amplify your desire to do great things. Someone say great things. For the king. Say for the king. And the kingdom. That's what your prayer should be. God, help me to do great things for the king and for the kingdom. On your paper before I close, if Noah had ignored the sign, he and his family would have died in the flood. As human history as we know it would have ended. If Joseph had disregarded Pharaoh's dreams, two nations would have been destroyed by famine. If Moses had kept walking, ignoring the bush, the exodus of Israel would not have happened. And the promised land would not have been possessed. If Saul had not done an about face, he would have not become Paul. And half of the New Testament would not have written. Everyone say, signs work. So I'm going to pray for you, but I want to tell you this. A couple went to the airport. Just listen and watch. To catch their flight. This is about waiting. A true story. When they arrived at the gate, they were told by the agent to wait to get on board. So they made their way to a spot in the waiting area and took a seat. This is you. See you. They were put to the side, but they didn't know why. People began boarding, and even more people boarded. Time passed. The couple began to get frustrated. They were waiting. They didn't know why. Then they got mad, and they thought the airline was treating them poorly by making them wait. No explanation. No time frame. Now, everyone had boarded the plane but them. They were going to be the last to board the plane, even though they were the first passengers in the waiting area. All kind of things were going through the couple's mind. What's going on here? This is not right. We were here early. Finally, after everybody else was on, their names were called, and they were told they could board. The couple walked down the jetway and looked at their boarding passes to find their seat assignments. Unbeknownst to them, they had been upgraded to first class. All of a sudden, sorrow became laughter. If you've never sat in first class, I've been upgraded. You'd be laughing too. Sadness becomes joy, and they each had a pep in their step because they bumped from coach to first class. They realized that sometimes waiting just isn't all that bad. I want to say to you, when I read this by one of my friends today, I want to tell you what came to my mind. Often we're in that waiting room and we wonder why we're waiting. And we think that we've been forgotten. We think other people arrived after us and they're getting blessed or these things are happening. And we're wondering why. You know, I remember when I was single, someone got married ahead of me and I thought God has forgotten me or this, that, the other. Whatever that looks like for you. But the deal is, when we're waiting on God, we're like this couple. In first class, it is a treat that everyone should have. I've never paid for first class, but I've been bumped up many times because my good friend Kathy Payne would go overseas. And it's a marvelous experience. They have foaming ice cream with hot fudge they bring you hot towels it's a four course dinner you get to watch movies you have these huge seats that that recline all the way back I mean they serve you like you're the queen of England you know what what God has for us is first class it is not coach we may feel sometime we're in that waiting area and others arrived after us and we're saying I'm mad God why do you keep calling everyone's name and you don't call mine these things aren't coming together then God said hey it's time your name is called and you find out it was not coach where your feet are just crammed and you're sitting like this and you have to unwrap your little biscuit and drink your little coke but you've been upgraded to even what Ephesians 3 and 20 says, exceedingly abundantly above what you could ask, think, or hope. Give God a hand clap of praise tonight. Amen. Let me pray over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brothers and sisters who are listening in this room and by podcast. Thank you for speaking to us, God. 
Help us to be sensitive to red flags when our peace says something's not right. It may be a job. It may be a relationship. It may be a house we're thinking of buying. Lord, whatever it is, give us that kind of wisdom that recognizes when you're saying something's not right. Lord, when our peace leaves us, but it looks so good and we want to do it, but something in our heart, like Pastor Scott Thomas, when he went to sign that deal, and his peace said, no, Scott, you can't do this. And God, you had the church, the building that his church needed. Give us that kind of courage to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. For us that are waiting on spouses, waiting on jobs, waiting on houses, waiting on a child, whatever that looks like, waiting on a restoration. God, you got no coach for us. There's no small airhead room. There's no small feet room. But you've got first class because your plan is above any plan. In the name of Jesus and the church said, amen. Let's give him one more hand clap of praise tonight. Awesome.